testing, one thing that I wanted to make sure that I was doing was making sure that I, whatever I invested in was going to have some sort of passive income aspect or component to it. And I also asked myself that the funnest times I ever had was during when we were in the second home resort space. And so this was back in 2011, 12, 13. I'm kind of figuring this stuff out. And, and lo and behold, I, during this time when I lost everything, I actually had a property I bought up in Bear Lake, Utah, a little mountain town in Utah. And I own this property. I bought this in 2006. And at the time, Airbnb wasn't even a thing. And we would rent it on the weekends on a local classified called KSL and Craigslist. And it would rent on the weekends. Well, when I lost everything, there was one asset that I didn't lose and it was this cabin. And it was because we were able to rent it while we weren't using it. And we were renting it on the weekends as a short-term rental. And so this was in the back of my mind the whole time thinking, hey, I had this asset that the worst time of my life financially still performed and during a really bad time for real estate. This was from 2008 to 2010 that this property was performing really well when everything else was just sliding, right? It sure, it lost value like everything else, but I made money. And so back in 2015, I decided that uh, this was this was when we really kind of planted our flag in the sand and said, we're going we're gonna to stick with short-term rentals and we're going to go down this road and we're going to learn everything we can about them. And ultimately um, put together, wrote that book that you were holding up. I, I actually wrote that in 2017. And then we started off a company called Lifestyle Asset University. I thought it'd help hundred people that get into the short-term rental investing game. We're now just over 3000 people that were, that were, it, we've got the largest coaching company in the U.S. for helping investors get into short-term rentals. So it's been a wild ride and a lot of fun. Yeah, so that was uh, that was as short as I could try to make that for you, Brigham. I I really appreciate that. And guys, if you if you really want to hear more of that, he's got a great YouTube video that that is on online. Yeah, diving in like I'd say like a half an hour of just right. really understanding your origin story. And I really I, I love to get to know a little bit more about what are the 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 hiccups at the very beginning. What are those internal struggles that you had as maybe a realtor, the fix and flipper, to say, hey. Now, this is how I'm I'm getting into the short-term rental game. Because I, I remember in one of the podcast episodes you brought up in the past, you said you had an experience where this old real estate investor said, hey, you're not a real real estate investor because yeah. you don't have any recurring uh, yeah. cash. Can you talk yeah. to us a little about that story? Yeah. So there's the, back in the day when I was in my twenties, I was, uh, I, I felt like I was kind of making my mark in Ogden, Utah. I was this, I thought I was this hot shot real estate investor. And I would go to the real estate investing club meetings. Right. And I would go, go there with my chest pumped out thinking I was a big shot because of how many houses we were, we were fixing and flipping at the time we were, we were flipping about hundred homes a year. Right. And so, um, at the peak, we were doing about 150 homes a year, but I thought I was a big deal. Right. And I showed up and this old boy named George put his arm around me. He says, Sean, you got to calm it down. My friend, he said, you've got to, you got to, you got to dial it back a notch or two and quit referring to yourself as a real estate investor. And I thought to him, I'm like, George, what are you talking about? Right. And so, um, he said, you're not an investor. You have a job fixing up and, and selling houses. You're fixing and flipping houses. That's a job. That's not an investment, right? And he said, unless you have something that is recurring, that makes you money while you sleep, you're not an investor. And I remember, and you've heard me tell the story, Brigham, but I remember I was mad. Like I really, it really shot my ego down. I was like, I mean, I was still this cocky 25 year old and 
thinking I knew more than more than I did for sure. And uh, and it was I went home and told Teresa and she said and we kind of talked about it and we at least were smart enough to say, well, maybe he has maybe he has a point. Right. And 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 we got into long term rentals. We did buy a lot. We bought 52 long term rentals in two years. And so we started buying single family long term rentals not even really getting into the multifamily space. I had one or two fourplexes mixed in there and a couple duplexes, but the majority of them were just all single family homes. And and it was my first introduction into trying to figure out the passive income side of life. I just didn't, you know, it's this learning curve, right? You just don't know what you don't know. And at the time I was young enough and dumb enough to just go do things rather than try to seek out mentors and help and advice. And I, And really until I lost everything, I mean, I had, I had, I always loved books, right? I went to bookstores. I went to a couple seminars um, here and there, but I really didn't just latch on to like finding somebody that was better than me um, until I lost everything and starting to get those coaches and those mentors to try to learn from them. And, and it's funny how you go through life and you figure, you know, it, we all go through the hero's journey, right? Every single person goes through a hero's journey, which is, which is ultimately, you know, we, we're up against a decision. We have to make a decision. We start running down a road. Things are going okay. And then the dragon jumps out. And then it's, you know, everything seems all, everything's lost. We can't figure out a way to go. We have to overcome these obstacles before we can get to the princess. And that's just life, right? That's how life goes. And unless we're willing to run down that road, it's really difficult to, to you know, progress and grow and proceed down toward our goals, right? And you know, when you're young, a lot of times, at least for me, when I was young, I just didn't think, yeah, I think you skip all that, right? You can skip to, okay, I just want to meet the princess, right? And it just doesn't work that way. You have to go through these bumps and bruises along the way, but because without it, you're not strong enough to defeat the dragons and get the princess, right? There, there has to be that progress. There's opposition yeah. in all things is one of the ways I yeah. think. Absolutely as we go through those turmoils, it changes us, right? It, yeah. Maybe when we met that dragon, if we would have met at the very first chapter of our story, it would have slayed us. He would have killed us. Yeah. It would have, we wouldn't have been able to get past him. You're exactly right. And that's, that's just, that's life. Right. And that's what that, the older I get, the more that I really enjoy that part of it. I enjoy, like we would never tell somebody's success story that just that, that won on the very first tryout, right? Somebody that just, you know, hit the jackpot on the first try. We never tell those stories. We tell the stories of the people that have the struggles and the obstacles that they have to overcome and, and they have to pick themselves up off the ground. And so, and ultimately we all become that story, right? We all have that story ourselves. And sometimes we're right in the middle of the, you know, of the dragon fight and we don't know what we're going to do. And we have to realize, okay, we, we're going to figure this out. That's, that's the beautiful part about being a human being is how resilient we are and how, how resourceful we are. Absolutely. And when you don't have the resources, you got to be resourceful. I, Absolutely. I, you, you've got some great points there. Now, one of the things that I also really appreciate about you is you focus on not just building a, a business that, that you, you can really uh, trust and that you're, you're doing things honestly, ethically, morally, but you actually want to have a lifestyle yep. that yep. is built into it as well. Cause there's lots of ways you can do real estate and it consumes all of your time, all of your energy, all of your effort. Can you talk to us about how you coined this phrase lifestyle assets? Cause I think it's yeah. very unique to you. So go ahead and talk to us about it. Yeah. One is I do believe that they have to add to your, like we're, we're trying to build 
like we always talk about financial freedom and making money and doing everything right very time very little do we talk about lifestyle and financial freedom together because there's a, the other side of the coin where we just talk about lifestyle freedom it's like okay i just want the four-hour work week and i want just things to be you know sipping pina coladas laptop lifestyle i'm not into that either right i'm not i want to do something that adds to my lifestyle builds financial freedom but i don't mind putting in you know 60 78 hour weeks because we enjoy it right and so the the lifestyle asset part of it for me was this whatever i was investing in with vacation homes we have a personal use aspect of them right i can buy and build this portfolio of assets that we can actually use but a lot of times we're working hard at it we're working the whole time but we enjoy it because we're there with our family um i've never been a part of an asset class that families do together and since i've had kids and i realize how important you know spending that time you know it's just it, it's you know time is so fleeting right we just don't have enough of it and so if we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and work it doesn't mean it's always fun and it's always like i said sipping pina coladas on the beach it means that why don't we make the work you know meaningful that we're, and something that we can do together right because it, it can be meaningful if we're all going through it together and the lifestyle aspect you know ultimately i said it's got to pay for itself somebody else has to manage it so it doesn't become a second job and third i got to be able to use it i want that personal use aspect so on a very simple level that's what a lifestyle asset is but at, the, at a deeper level for me and and this is probably one of the time, only times i've ever actually explained this brigham but for me a lifestyle asset is i wanted something that me and Teresa and white and grace got interested in together we built together right because i'm i you know i've been financially free for a decade now i am not retired by any stretch like i'm i'm at the office all day every day and we're doing a lot we work hard and we work hard every day and but a lot of that work is together with the family right we look and analyze properties together and we do things together and they get as interested in it as i am to me, that's a true lifestyle asset that we can do because of the because of the time we're able to spend together doing something, moving the, moving that ball forward. I think that that right there, when you are willing to have your family come along with you and they've bought mm -hmm. into your vision, they're enrolled into what you're you're mm -hmm. doing. That makes a huge difference because huge. it's not just your dream; it's our dream. It's our dream. Yeah, exactly. And now, it, and it's a lot of fun. And we all have different we all have different roles in that dream, right? And that's what's fun. And I've been, like I said, I've been investing in real estate for 23 years. I've done a lot and been in, in and out of a lot of different asset classes. And I've never ever seen an asset class. And you're part of our mastermind group at Vodacy. How many, I mean, it's families, right? There's it, it's husbands and wives and kids and grandparents and everybody's doing it together. And to me, that is i mean that's the real that's the real mark of what i call a lifestyle asset yeah one of the things i think is really unique about uh one of the elements of your education that you bring up is it's not just about is this going to make me money it's am i going to enjoy it am i going to have that personal use aspect am i going to have my family come along with me and make memories there, there's one yeah. of these things that has stuck mm -hmm. with me i think mm -hmm. i heard it honestly like two years ago on one of your podcasts talk about this idea of the 18 summers yep we have such a finite amount of time with our children. It is something that pops into my head because half, like I've got four kids. I barely had a, a baby boy really uh -huh. excited about that, but we get 18 summers with them as children. And then they grow up and we, we don't, never know how much more time we're going to have. So can yeah. you talk to us about how you have made your summers meaningful with these right. aspects? 
Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. And when, you know, we, we both live in Utah and so our neighboring state to the North Idaho ran that ad campaign a, a few years back. I don't know if you remember seeing that it was probably about maybe 10 years ago. Now they ran an, a campaign called 18 summers. And, and it was, that's really when I really learned of that concept. Now there's actually a company called 18 summers. Um, oh, somebody that, somebody that runs that with the concept of figuring out how to, how to spend the most amount of time with your kids. And for us, you're right. It's like, man, there's only, we have 18 summers with our kids. And now ultimately we want to have these amazing 18 summers and then, and then parlay those 18 summers beyond that. Right. But the concept is let's not, let's not take for granted the time we have and those summers that we do have and the memories that we can make. Teresa and I have always been, um, we've always just in, you know, right or wrong or indifferent, or you can agree or don't, don't agree with this. We don't do presents. We don't do gifts for birthdays, for Christmases, for anything else. But we always together as a family, we have a, a trip that we're going to go on something that fun that we're going to go do because we always look back and think, okay, you know, I, I can't remember almost any gift I've ever gotten, but I can remember the times that I go on trips with my family and spend time with them and things like that. So we wanted the kids to, to grow up in an environment that they had those, that that's what they had, right? The memory bank of these, these different areas and times that we go. Now it's really fun because they're turning, they turned 13 this year and it's just a fun, like it's just become such a tradition that we're always doing at least two or three fairly big trips. Like last year, we went to London. We'll probably go somewhere over to Europe again this year. But we also go to our properties on a regular basis. And we figure out like, and it's, it's really kind of fun. Like, um, like my son, he like, we have a property in Georgia. That's his favorite place. He tells everybody's from Georgia now instead of Utah, because he, he, he thinks he's a, he thinks he's because, because he just like, thinks like, this is, this is my spot, right? This is where I, this is what I love. Um, Grace is the opposite. She likes the big city stuff. And so together, we get to experience and, we, and what we typically do is allow each each member of the family to pick and kind of plan and choose one. And so like I would never pick to go to London. I would never pick to go to New York Broadway. My daughter and my wife are going to pick that, but I get to go experience that. Right. But they're not going to pick to go to, you know, a fly fishing ranch or somewhere up in Montana and just be disconnected. And and yeah. so we get to experience it and we all have a great time doing all of it. Right. And so everybody gets to choose kind of their own little thing and bring the family along. And, and we have so much fun, you know, really probably doing the other people's stuff than our stuff. Stuff that we choose and and it's kind of grown into that at this stage and it's really fun i think being willing to let your kids choose and your wife choose and get that full rounded life that right that's so cool I, yeah i love how you're focusing on experience over like gifts yeah and this is something that i actually think is also unique in your education you talk about this dream experience that you create for your customer yeah and the importance of not just having a great property because it i mean almost anybody can come up with a great property but there's a story element to make yes. sure that they come through and they're welcomed and they they feel the the details matter. So can yeah. you talk to us about how you have created that dream experience for your guests? Yeah. And so one is understanding really the game that we're playing, right? First and foremost, like uh, people assume because we're in the real estate game and we do short-term rentals and invest and we offer properties up for short-term rent that we're selling properties and we're not. What first we have to buy into the concept that we're selling an experience. People are buying an experience from us, right? They're renting that experience from us, not renting a property from us. And so so when I 
when I started to buy in and realize how powerful that was in our space and then how important that was for us as a family, right? It was pretty easy for us to kind of roll over to that is to say, okay, how can I have this target audience, pick a target audience and create this amazing experience for them, figure out how to articulate it in all of my listing stuff, and then be able to market it that way to where they raise their hand and say, I want to stay there over uh, above and beyond everybody else's property. That was a really fun game for me that, that I got really excited about. Still every single day, get excited about it because it's so fun at the end of the day, because you, if you nail it, People have, and they send you some of the most amazing reviews. They send you some of the most amazing messages saying, man, this was exactly what we needed. Uh, two weeks ago, I got a message from one of our guests and said, hey, my, my, it was an older couple that stayed in our Georgia property. And he said, my wife got diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer, and we just needed this getaway. And we went and stayed at your property. And the experience that we had and the memories that we made are just something that will be never forgotten. And we really appreciate all the things that you put together. And so when you get those messages and that's kind of an extreme example, but it just is like, man, that's why you do it, right? You want to do it to where somebody is like, this made a difference for me. And it was so fun. Some of our properties, we have like our property up by Yellowstone National Park, we had set up as for fly fishermen, right? And, and it was, we like, dialed it into like, I, I, I knew those rivers like the back of my hand. I love to fly fish. I know why they're coming in. I would have a handwritten note for them telling them, hey, here's my favorite, the, my favorite rivers, my favorite spots. Here's the map. I've highlighted it for you. I literally had like highlighter and I would mark up all these maps and, and I point to a corner. I'd say, there's a log right here. There's always fish right behind this log. Around this next corner, there's these three boulders. You want to go behind the second of the third boulders. Like I would get really detailed on the map of what they were doing. They'd have a box of my flies that I, my favorite flies. We had waiter drying stations. We had everything that they would need for that great experience and ultimately this property was a waitlist only property after about a year and a half and no, you couldn't even get in it was booked a year out in advance because it was all repeat guests they would come back and they would pay way more than my next door neighbor's property and because we knew how to sell and set up the experience versus just the property and so um one it it you know, ultimately it's kind of, it's a good business decision to do that, but it's really fun on the back end when you start getting the messages, like I mentioned before, and somebody telling you and sharing in their anniversaries and their weddings and their birthdays and their, you know, their, you know, uh, the needing to disconnect from life because they just got some horrible news and trying to figure out how they're going to attack it. Right. And, and they're like, this was the perfect spot for me because you took the time to really make it the perfect spot. The property they stayed in, the experience there is to come in, disconnect. We don't have good internet. If you're here to work, go somewhere else. You're going to sit here by the lake, grab your favorite drink, and you're going to just chill out and relax, unwind and disconnect. And they that's what they needed, right? And that's the experience they got. And that's what we delivered. And it was really, really fun. And when you start to get those messages back to be a part of that, it's just, I mean, I just think it's fun to be a part of that. I, I think that's adding that human element into why yeah. you're doing what you're doing. Because you're always constantly thinking, what is my guest's experience? Not what's this property going to be doing? And we're not selling real estate, we're selling that experience. I think that was a great distinction. Yeah. Great distinction. Now, um, another thing that I, I thought would be really helpful to, to talk about, just as a, an overview, I know you are your two comma club uh, award winner. You always have that in the back. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, I should have went. Uh, yeah, I got it. But I'm curious, just as a business owner, how did you structure your business in such a way that you were able to have the solid mm -hmm. foundation and scale it to where you are now? 
It's a great question. So one, when I started this, Brigham, I really, I didn't have the intention to grow it to where it grew to. And so when I started it, and I, and I think that this actually is the reason we were able to grow it and, and why I start here. My Normally we hear, start with the end in mind, and I'm a huge believer of that. So don't, don't think that I'm not. I wanted to help 100 people make a lot of money and understand what we may, how we make a lot of money in short-term rentals, right? I, I had already built a portfolio. I had already done that. I knew how to do it. I had also had some experience helping other investors do it because of when I lost everything, that's how I made my money back was as an agent with other investors, helping them build, build their portfolios, right? So I had some experience in that. My goal was to say, okay, I'm going to put together I'm going to document this process that we started to realize was fairly repeatable. And it was a game that was growing significantly. Short-term rentals were, were starting to come into to, you know, favor, right? It was, it, this was pre-COVID still. This was way before COVID. We were like, we're talking 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, the, the, the late teens, but it was still, they were still growing pretty fast. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, COVID just, just skyrocketed them, but at the time, I wanted to I wanted to have a process and a product and an offer that could that uh, an investor could plug into, and pretty predictably succeed in the game, right? And so I said, oh, if I could do that, hundred people will, and we can help hundred people create lifestyle financial freedom. I'm I'm game for that, right? Let's let's go down and run down that road. Ultimately, because we got such great results, we started it started scaling really fast, right? It started saying, hey, listen, it, 100 quickly turned into 500, 500 to 1,000. And, and we kept raising our prices and doing this. And in the beginning, I didn't have a mentor teaching me how to do this. When I started realizing, holy crap, there's a there's a market and a need for this. There's a lot of people reaching out to us on, you know, how do we do this? What are we doing? A lot of it was referrals in the very beginning. I hired some coaches and you mentioned the two comma club. Russell Brunson was one of the first coaches I hired. I think he's brilliant. He's brilliant. I think he's super smart. Love or hate Russell. Um, I don't, you know, I, I love him. And I think that he's really smart. And Ultimately, we hired him as a coach, um, hired a couple other coaches and mentors that knew the online, you know, coaching space, knew how to put together offers, knew how to do all those different things, right? We still don't have a big stack. We have one product and we've always had one product. I don't have a small one. You know, I don't have the, the lead magnets and all that stuff beyond. I have a book, but you can just get the book for free, but I have one product. And ultimately, you know, we, within two years, we got the two comma club X award, which is making over 10 million in funnel. And so it just continued to grow. And I believe that it grew Brigham because of the, because we focused on fulfillment first versus trying to just sell courses. Right. And, and we were, we really focused on making sure we had the best fulfillment that we could put together. And we changed like, you know, I changed the course three times in the first two years. Right. And, and just how we delivered it and what we did and the coaches we brought on and the different things that we knew that people had hiccups with. And so we would, we would focus on that because it was really important for me to not just, not just make the money with the course, but I wanted people to get results. Right. And, and you're, you know, you're part of that community and you can see that, I mean, we have, we have a lot of people making a lot of money on their properties and we're, we've been blessed to be a part of that journey with so many people. Now we're almost at 3000 people we're, we'll hit 3000 people this month over the past four years that have joined our, our high-end coaching group. And I, I really appreciate the, the time, energy and effort that you put in to simplify. Cause I think there are a lot of coaches in this space that 
that know the know how to do it for themselves, but they don't know how to articulate it simply yeah. so that somebody else can implement it. And you, it feels like you're all about implementation. If it doesn't get the result, then you're like, let's, let's rethink this. Right. 100%. Yeah. Like, uh, there was one, one time where you're like, you're going into air DNA and you're talking about it and there's an update. And instead of just letting air DNA teach how to, you know, do their update, you're like, we're going to re-record this part of the class. We're going to fix yeah. it. Yeah. And I really appreciate that about uh, your energy and attention to fulfillment, like you said. Right. So if I can ask you th this question, when when you have someone that uh, is hesitant, because I mean, you you don't necessarily do all the sales yourself anymore. But when you have someone that's hesitant, you're like, man, I don't I just don't know. Is this going to work for me? How do you help them get over that? Will this work for me? Will this system work in general? How do you help them get over those those self-limiting beliefs? Yeah. One, one, we we have to dial it back and make sure that it really can, right? Somebody sometimes somebody's hesitancy can be realistic, right? Because sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's these limiting beliefs. But I always start, always, always, always start with their outcome. What are they trying to do? Like what is the end goal? Most people just don't think about that. What are their property goals? And what is the outcome we're chasing? And does this asset class give them a better chance to reach that outcome than you know other asset classes, for example? Maybe, you know, short-term rentals have pros and cons like everything else. And, you know, they might be better off doing something else. So luckily for me, I've been involved in a lot of asset classes. So I actually can have a conversation and tell somebody, listen, this might not be the right path for you. So I always start there with the with the lens of maybe this isn't right. Let's figure out why you feel like that. First of all, what are we trying to do? you know, or where are we at? First of all, where are we trying to do? And then how are, how are we going to get there? Does the short-term rentals give us a better chance of reaching that outcome? Then it comes down to Brigham of, we all have, we all will give ourselves reasons not to move forward. Now, when, when the people that we work with, for example, and now it, I always tell people it's way easier to move forward when your back's against the wall. It's way easier to move forward and do something when you've lost everything. And I can say that with 100% certainty because I've been both places. I've been to places where I've got a lot of money and I've been places where I had nothing. And when you have nothing, it's, you know, it, you have nowhere to go but forward, right? Now, the hardest part is when you have have a lot or you've built a lot and you're comfortable to say, okay, I'm going to take the next step forward because you don't, you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to mess up where you're at, right? We get comfortable sitting on the sidelines. The more successful we become, the more we will sit on the sidelines and justify our inaction. And so then I like to have those conversations of how long have we been sitting on the sideline? How long have you been the spot you're at right now? Because a lot of people, they didn't get, most successful people didn't get there by sitting on their hands, they had to roll up their sleeves and work, right? And and then, but it's not the time to just say, okay, I'm done now. I'm done. I, I reached the level of success. I'm done. The successful people are constantly climbing. There's no real pinnacle, right? You're just always growing. If you're not, you know, what's the point of being here, right? And so, so then the conversation goes to that is saying, okay, what what's holding us back? There's three things that people always point to that hold them back. One, that outside circle is the first thing they're going to point to is outside circumstances. They're going to say interest rates. There's an election this year. I don't like the president. I don't like the rules. You know, I can't do this because my boss doesn't let me do this. There's they look for all these outside influences and outside things that they can't control. You can't you can't give power to those things you can't control. 
Yeah. There's always going to be obstacles out there all the time, especially on the outside, whether it's, you know, high gas prices, inflation, wars out there. And, and this year is going to be 100%. You will hear over and over and over. People are going to be bitching about the election that's going on because it's going to be a shit show. And it's going to be something that just does. I mean, it's out there. It's a distraction. Acknowledge it and move forward. And, and you can't do anything about it other than vote. Do your vote and forget about it after that. Right. Okay. And so, it, so outside influences are where most people start blaming and why they're sitting, right? They're going to give themselves reasons, right? We want to give ourselves a reason to, we want to justify our inaction. That's what we want to do internally, right? We want to justify that it's okay to sit on the sideline. The second thing is we're going to blame other people and we're going to blame those people closest to us. It's my spouse. It's my business partner. It's my friends. Nobody thinks this is a good idea. I know somebody that did this and they lost money. You know, I hear that all the time. I know somebody with a short-term rental, they don't make any money. Okay. I know, I know lots of people that don't make any money. I know lots of people that do too. And so, you know, what, what are you going to, what are you going to pay attention to? Right. So we, we give, then we start blaming other people for reasons why we don't want to do it. Because the last thing we want to do is look in the mirror and blame ourselves. And that's the real reason, right? The middle of that is, okay, why are we not moving forward? It's our own doubts. It's our own fears. It's our own insecurities. And we don't want to give, we don't want to blame ourselves, right? We don't want to call ourselves out and say, yeah, I don't, I'm afraid to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to, that I'm going to mess it up. And so once we, once we realize that it is our own doubts, fears, insecurities, keeping us from moving forward, a lot of times it's easier to just move forward. Right. It, you know, it's like just admitting you have a problem is, is defeats the problem a lot of times. Right. It, you know, and so, and, and so when you look at the reasons why you sit on the sidelines, is it some, is it outside influences? Are you blaming somebody else? Or are you really looking in the mirror and saying, okay, it's me. And I need to figure out how to move past that and get that, you know, you know, maybe I need to get more educated, maybe I, which a lot of times you probably do, right? We need to, we need to bridge that gap of the knowledge gap that's missing or get more comfortable with the right mentors or this, that, but once we realize that we're our only person holding our, ourselves back, many people get more comfortable moving forward, especially if it's the right, it, because at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen unless you roll up your sleeves and move forward and work, right? Nothing I can do is, is a magic pill. You can't buy a vacation rental and then all of a sudden you're going to be a millionaire. That doesn't, it's not how it works, right? There's going to be work that we have to do. So we have to be committed to the work. We have to be ready for it. And, and so I usually just have that exact conversation with people to say, where are we at? You know, have... What, what outcome are we chasing? Do we have the right vehicle to get us there? Do we have the right support crew to get us there? And then what else is holding us back? And it's usually one of those three things. And it's usually those outside two mostly, but the ultimate reality is it's us. You know, we have to, we have to address our own fears, doubts, and insecurities, and we have to be okay with sucking at something in the beginning. None of us, none of us are perfect. And the first time we do anything, it's not going to be good. You and I do podcasts. Our first podcast, if you, I, I lift, I still leave my first podcasts up there. And if people listen to them, they're like, why don't you take those down? I'm like, I, I like them up because I like to be reminded of how far I've come. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and being able to, and so it's, we're just not good in the very beginning when we do things. My first properties that I put up, they were not good. They're way different than they are right now, right? And so, but we've gotten better over time. You can only get, you you know, quality beats quantity all the time, but you can't have quality unless you have quantity first, right? You have to put in the hours before you get the quality. Yeah, there, there's an expression I had my friend Eric Count say, you have to make the pots. It comes from this old story where, yeah. you know, the there was this, this, teacher that had had two different directives that he gave his students was like hey you're going to make these pots and you have to make the perfect pot and then he told the other half of the class hey you're going to make 
uh, as many pots as you possibly can uh, this semester. And the, the kids that made the most pots got exponentially better results than those that focus on making the perfect pot. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get so scared and hesitant that they were like, well, it could potentially not work. So I'm not going to work. But exactly. When we take that whole responsibility, like you said, actually hold up that mirror to ourselves and say, am I actually being responsible here? Yeah. We can kick our own selves in the butt and get going. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, I love it. Now, I, I'm curious because you said you've done almost 200 podcasts, right? About that many episodes. Yep. Yeah. You, you keep up those beginning ones. What was it uh, that has helped you in uh, in your networking skills to be able to to get those kind of dream people? Because I mean, you're one of those that I actually had on my bucket list getting yeah. on this podcast from the first day that I did it. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. That's awesome. I'm glad I'm here then. Yeah, that's that's awesome. How did you do that to create value for your guests to be like, man, this is not only a good experience, this is something that they want to do and they're encouraged to. Right. You know, for me, my podcasts in the beginning were all solo episodes. I didn't have any guests, right? I just built a listener base, right? We became a, a top 1% podcast and a lot of them were just me talking, right? I would talk about a concept. And then once that happened and I had... I had value to offer somebody. It's like, Hey, listen, we're, you know, we've, we've got a lot of people who listen to our podcast now. So now it's more when we, you know, we have way more people reach out to us to be, to be on our podcast than we actually ever have on our podcast. Cause ours one, two is a very topic based po podcast, right? If they're not in the short-term rental world, then we don't have them on our podcast. I would love to have some other, you know, there's some, there's some bigger names that I would love on my podcast. I don't talk about high performance in other areas of my, of the world other than even though I think it would be really valuable for my guests and I might expand to that. So, so don't hold me to it. Um, because now to the, we're to the point where a lot of people reach out to us, but in the beginning, no, I mean, I, it was, it was just me building a customer, like a listener base. Right. And, and where people, and we would now generate enough downloads to, that we're, you know, it kind of organically grew to where we can get, you know, the bigger names on our podcast that we want, because there's enough people who listen, right? That's what they, that's what they, all of their booking agents, that's what they're looking for. At the end of the day, it's like, how many people listen to your, listen to your show, right? Yeah. And, and it took me a while to get that listener base, frankly. I mean, it was, it was just, and there were times where I was just talking to um, Mike Pine and uh, Kevin, shout out to those guys. They've got the Hidden Money podcast and they're, and they're, they're brilliant CPAs and they understand money like the back of their hand. And they've got this podcast It's a really good podcast, but they, their listener base is just, it's struggling. But I think on, they're on like, they're on like episode 15 or 20, right? It's like, listen, you're brand new. You're just starting out. Just keep going because you've got good stuff people will start listening right you just you have to just continue down the road and it's like it's like the flywheel right it's like really hard to push in the beginning and you got to push it really hard for a while but then once it starts spinning then it becomes a lot easier and it's hard to stop i love that and they're bringing russell brunson's uh linchpin idea back into it, right that flywheel where it's just for sure you got to be that attractive character and a lot of times it's it's not going to be pretty in the beginning and i think sometimes we get so hesitant to be imperfect, that we don't yeah. take imperfect action. Yeah. But imperfection is actually something that we can lean into. You don't have to be perfect. It's actually refreshing at times to have a hiccup every once in a while. And to oh, uh, I cannot tell you over the years how many times I've heard, 
I love that your stuff is not that polished, right? Because I don't edit my episodes. I mean, I literally don't go through and I edit the front and the back, right? The yeah. intro and the outro. And um, I mean, I stutter half the time. I don't put sentences together correctly. And I'm like, and they're like, people like that. They're like, you're just you, Sean. You're just, you're just out there doing your thing. And, you know, they feel like they can trust you. People are so worried about messing up when they do this kind of stuff. And honestly, it makes you more relatable. You don't, you know, when you just can be you, people relate to you. They're like, I like that. You know, I like that it doesn't seem filtered and polished in such a filtered and like an over filtered world that we live in. People appreciate just being you and being authentic and not trying to be everything to everybody. And that's where I, I, I think that the if I learned one lesson along the way, because I was the same way, I thought everything had to be really, really good in the beginning. Like I'm like, I, I would my first episodes as bad as they are, those are the most edited episodes I have, right? Those, those first 15 or 20, I probably spent, I would do a 20 minute episode and take five hours editing it. And it's horrible. If you listen to it now, <laughs> you're like, really, that's edited. I hate to hear the original version. And it was, but it was, it's funny, because I thought the same thing in the beginning, too. And the more the more you're in a game, the more you're doing it, the more you're out there, you know, you're just like, you just got to be you and the the best of the best. That's what they do. I love that. Yeah. Now I I've heard, heard this said, uh, niches to riches. That's the, the yeah. phrase that always pops in my head. When, when you said you don't have anyone that's outside of this asset class outside of short-term rentals on your podcast, I think that's, that's really, really awesome because your listeners know what to expect. Yes. When, when you're talking about business, I think this is something I learned as a missionary for, for my church over and over and over. If you clarify expectations, you say, here, here's what I'm going to do. And then you deliver on what you said you're going to do. There's no hard feelings. But if there's that miscommunication where you yeah. under, under deliver and you over promise, that's when there's challenges. How do you over deliver and under promise in your, not only your podcast and your business, but in, in short term rentals as well? Right. One, I think you over de deliver by literally just meeting expectations. One of the, I heard Alex Ramosi talk about this before, and he was talking about this exact concept. And I, 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 I believe it a hundred percent, which is in why I want to endorse what he was saying is we live in a world that does not set expectations and meet expectations. Like you said on your mission, you're saying, here's what I'm going to do. And then we're going to go out and do it. You build trust when you do that, right? Immediately. Well, in any business, everything is built on trust. And so when I can when I can meet expectations, that is the over delivery, because now I've got the trust of somebody that I can go out and help them proceed and, and meet their goals, whatever they're trying to do. I truly believe in our business that I'm the best person to help them out of any of the other coaches or anything out there. I love a lot of them. And I know a lot of them. I'm speaking on stages on many of their stages great people. I still don't believe that they have a chance of helping them because I don't think they care as much as I do. They may, but in my heart, I don't believe they do because I know how much I care. And I'm like, they can't care more than me. Right. And so when, so the over delivery comes from just meeting expectations, we try to be very clear on who we can help, who we can't help. Right. I don't do like my company. We don't do any arbitrage, co-hosting, anything else. There's great money to be made in that. There's really smart people that do that. Right. I think you've got some arbitrage properties, yeah, right? I started out with arbitrage. That yeah. was the model. 
And what attracted me to you guys was because it was a different look at it. I was like, I want to understand that. So, cause that's where the I'm ownership going. side. Yeah. We exactly. only, we only work with owners. And so we, we are very small niche down. None of my other competitors are that far niche down. They all do ownership, arbitrage, co-hosting. They have, they have a mix because they want to get different layers of people that are getting into the game. We don't, we're very, we're very specific, but what we really try to do is really define and set expectations in the very beginning. I think it's critical. And I think when you do that, then not only does the consumer or your guest or your customer, they, they know exactly what, what to expect. You're setting those expectations. Then when you deliver it, exactly what you said, not over or not under. We do exactly what we say we're going to do. And then that builds a lot of trust along the way. And then that relationship can continue to progress. But I, that's where I think that that we always are just saying, hey, listen, it starts with the very beginning of defining the expectations. And so do a good job of setting the expectations because then you're holding yourself accountable too. It's like calling your shot. You're saying, hey, I'm going to do this. If you do that, then, then you hold yourself accountable on the back end. So for us, it's starting on the front end and telling them exactly what we're going to do and exactly what they can expect so that we also are holding ourselves accountable on the back end. I love that. And accountability is, is such a undervalued thing, but it's so amazing when we, we can not just keep ourselves accountable to, uh, to what we say, but we keep our guests accountable by, by having clear expectations and procedures. All of this comes together with, with our, our clarity of speech. Yeah. Um, it also popped into my head sometimes, uh, when we are thinking about progression, there's this expression in Chinese, if you're not progressing, you're digressing. And I know it's it's really easy to get complacent with short-term rentals. You can set them and forget them. There are times yeah. when I felt like I've done that. I don't look at my listing for a month. And then I was like, why are my, my bookings not working as well? You have to constantly tweak, constantly increase the that clarity. Can you talk to us about the importance of, of recognizing those opportunities for increased clarity? Yes. So when it comes to specifically to our world or yeah. uh, in general or, or in the short term rental side, in short term rentals and maybe in business as well. Yeah. So one, like on short term rentals, I always tell people, you know, like you, the, the tendency is we want to set it, forget it, right? I've got a fairly high performing portfolio at this stage. I don't have to do a lot to my portfolio. However, one thing that I think keeps me at the top and keeps that portfolio performing at a high end is I do a lot of the heavy lifting on the front end, right? Like we said, we're going to, we have very clear expectations of exactly what we're going to deliver. We make sure that that property is set up correctly. We make sure that we've got the right team in place to help us deliver that. Everything is, everything is set up on the, on that kind of the front end to do a lot of the heavy lifting. You could set it and forget it. The problem with setting it, forgetting it is when you know, where focus goes, action flows, right? And so I always focus on one thing at the end of every every month. I look at the PL and I look at my and I look at the calendar if we want to go use it. But I look at the PL and I pull up the data that I want to see. I want to see how much money was spent in my market. Am I where am I on that scale of properties? Am I toward the top? Am I, you know, and I know exactly where I'm at in, in the markets I'm in. If I'm number one, number five, wherever I'm at, did I slide a little bit? Did I go up a little bit? Where did I slide? Occupancy or rates? And so by just looking at the numbers at a high level and knowing the details every single month, we don't ever really see those slides. And I believe it's just because we look at it all the time. 
sometimes we have to make little tweaks, which we do. And usually it's just in the articulation of what we're doing, right? It's like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I was, you know, rolling into wintertime and I still have my summertime photos up and I waited a month too long to switch them out. Sometimes it's that, right? Other times, usually that's what it is for us. It's going to be how we're articulating the offer that we have, right? And, and most of the time for us, if we see a slide, it's because we didn't update the seasonal photos fast enough. And so, it, which sounds kind of weird, right? But it's a little thing that, and by doing it as long as we've done it, we understand those little details. That comes down to like the, in life, right? You, you, mastery is being able to simplify a process, understanding it so well that you can get it down, dialed down so simply. And when it, when it is in business, a lot of things seem so complicated. There's so many things going on. We're busy all day long, but we really do nothing at the end of the day, right? And so we we all go through that. We all do it. And we're we're all like, oh man, I've got, you know, I'm stacked up. I worked 12 hours today, but what did we really get done? Probably there's times in our lives where we don't get anything done in a 12 hour day and we're working hard all day, right? We're busy. One and it's the same concept I'm talking about on being able to get our properties performing is understanding what you're doing and being so clear on your outcomes and expectations that you can ignore everything else and you can simplify it down to one or two. There's usually one or two things that you should be doing focusing on that are going to be the needle movers, right? And being able to identify the needle movers and focus and, and, extraordinary amount of time on those and being able to say no to all the other things that feel urgent, they feel important, they keep you busy, but they're really not. And I think that getting, but it, I, I think it's hard to do that until you become, until you put the hours in, until you put them into, because sometimes you don't know what the needle movers are. And so there's times of your life, there's seasons in your life and in your business that you're just putting in the hours to try to figure out what those needle movers really are. And, 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 Sometimes you just have to put in the hours. Like we, we, you know, you mentioned with the pottery glass, right? Sometimes it's just doing it till till you become a master. Then you can figure out how to make that pot really, really good the next time. Exactly. And I think identifying the needle movers that that's where where the skill comes in and where mentorship actually yes, I think helps the most. Totally. Because that that cuts timeframes. If instead of saying. I'm going to focus on these 12 different things and hope that one of them moves the needle. You can talk to a mentor that's been there, done that. They see the roadblocks. They've experienced it. Like actually these two things will move the needle. Those other nine or 10, don't even worry about them. Right now. Yes. I, um, I think that that's a critical thing. And that's what I learned a while back with mentors is I hire mentors now where I'm looking for that 1% thing that they know that I don't know. Like I have people all the time that look at our mentorship and they say, Sean, I think I know most of what you're teaching already. And, and to me, they haven't, they haven't learned that lesson that, because everything, there's nothing that we teach that's new, right? It, it, it's that we understand the things that are going to move the needle and everybody has different needle movers also, right? We teach a bunch of, we teach an entire process. Well, somebody might have, you know, steps one through nine or one through six dialed in, but steps seven, eight, and nine are not dialed in. Somebody else might know steps one through three and they understand the back end, but they don't have the middle section dialed in, right? And so it's being able to identify those needle movers. I hired, like I say, if I can, 
if I can learn and get a one or 2% increase in what I'm doing by hiring a coach and paying a lot of money for a coach, that's exponential returns on the money that I invest in that coach. That's a different mindset than a lot of people who don't really understand mentorships and coaches. They think everything that they're going to teach them is going to be brand new. That's not the case. And I tell people that all the time. I said, you probably do know 95% of what I'm doing. You might know 100% of what I'm doing. What you haven't been able to dial in is exactly what part of that process is going to move the needle for you. That was wisdom speaking right there. That was awesome. Thank you. Now, um, in your experience, when you're talking about property managers, because this is the newest part of my business, I I started doing arbitrage and I wanted to get into buying the properties. That's actually why I got interested in in Vodacy because I'm going with my business Come hell or high water, I'm going to figure out how to do that. That's why I got in, into your, your program. And then I realized I can scale my own business very quickly by managing for other people and utilizing the same skill set that I, I had developed as an arbitrage model. What do you look for in a full-service property management company yeah. so that uh, you know they're reliable, they're honest, they're, they're, they're loyal, and they, they actually deliver on what you, you need them to deliver on? Yeah, love it. And one, I love that. I love when I hear of investors getting into the management space. One, I don't like to manage my properties, right? So, uh, and you, I'm like one of the only guys out there that's a big believer that most property owners should hire full service property managers that really understand the game, that have it dialed in. There's there's economies of scale with property management. And unless you have a major, a big portfolio in the same area, it's difficult for you to get those economies of scale and do it at a high level and deliver at a high level. Right. And so I'm a and I love when property managers, it's the Achilles heel of the short-term rental business by far is good property management. The old legacy, old school property management systems that are just a, it's a volume game. It's like, hey, we'll get as many properties in our portfolio as we can and we'll get our fair share of business. For a property owner, that does not work. That model works for those big property management companies because they don't care that your fair share of business continues to drop because they've got a thousand properties in their portfolio or a hundred properties in their portfolio. And your slice of the pie might be getting smaller, but once your slice of the pie gets so small, they just add 10 more properties and their slice keep keeps going up, right? It's for us, the biggest thing, one, as an investor, in, in any investors that are thinking or listening to this, your most important relationship and the most important decision you will make is who you choose as a property manager. It is a critical decision. Right. That relationship is a long term relationship. The number one thing I'm looking for is somebody that is as interested in as me as maximizing that asset and understanding what their role is in maximizing the asset. And this is the other thing that I think is a disconnect. And I think that this is a disconnect for most property owners. Most property owners believe that if they buy a property, they turn it over to the property manager, the property manager's job to do all of these things to curate this the who whoever the target audience is curate this amazing experience get that property set up correctly to be able to go now market it because if they don't have all of those things in place if they don't have a target audience it's not set up correctly it's not curating a great experience it's not they don't have the right marketing assets and the right photo shoots then all of a sudden you can't market it it doesn't matter how well a property manager understands marketing and the algorithms on airbnb and everything else if they don't have a good product in the first place they're not going to be able to get you better occupancy and higher nightly rates than somebody else is going to get you. You're going to get you. So as a property owner, it's our responsibility to make sure that we buy the right assets, 
that we set them up correctly, we curate these amazing experiences, and then then we choose a property owner that cares about delivering that experience to our guests as much as we do, right? Being able to make sure that that property looks the same way every single time. And that that when that someone checks in, or their anniversary or for their birthday and it's they spent a lot of money to be there that they that that experience is delivered at such a high level that they get those callbacks and they say hey listen this this was amazing this made our year this made our like i will never forget this state right that's what we want our property manager to be as excited about as we are is delivering taking this amazing property and experience and delivering it to the guests the same way every time i want my guests to think they're my only guest every time somebody checks in i don't want them to think well, I'm the 50th guest, you know, in the in the last couple months. And so, you know, it's a little bit more rundown. And it wasn't really set up like the pictures. That's not what we want, right? I want my property manager to understand and be want to be as interested in maximizing our asset as we are and understand what it takes to maximize. And, and Brigham, this is what I get excited about. Like when, when, you know, we've got a number of our members who are getting into property management like you are. And, and they do such a good job because you guys understand what it takes from the property ownership side. Like I just spoke at a, a convention with PMI and there was there was about 700 property managers there. And it was amazing to me how few of them really understood this. In fact, I went in with an entirely different talk than I ended up delivering because I started off talking at, you know, detailed levels of what it takes, like different things that how we could deliver and maximize everything else. I had to dial it all the way back to, Listen, we need to make sure that we've got what what are, what are we actually offering, right? How are we actually going to maximize? What do we need in place for us to get higher occupancy, higher rates? Because that's what the, that's what the owner wants, right? And you're going to have owners call you all the time, Brigham, and they're going to say because they're not going to be in Vodacy, like many of them. They're going to call you up and say, "Hey, Brigham, I got this property. What can you do for me that somebody else can't do?" And you need to say, "Hey, listen, where are we at? What do you got? Let me look at it and be be selective." on the property and then be able to tell them, listen, you've got a great property. I don't think it's set up correctly yet. Right now, we just have a, we just have some real estate. Everybody's got nice properties. And so what can we do? You start having that conversation. They're going to be like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. And how can we do this together? And you know, what am I responsible for? What are you responsible for? And you're able to take them through that because ultimately you want to build a portfolio of, of properties that you can maximize, right? And that's what I want as a property owner as well. Yeah, and I, I think... One of the the values that I I'm always thinking about when I'm, I'm marketing and I'm talking to other property owners is what makes this experience unique? What's yes. the competitive advantage? Yes, the story that only you can tell, or yep. the, the local perspective. Because a lot of times people they don't want to buy a commodity; they could go to a hotel. They can. Yep. Unique experience. So, could you talk to how you create unique experiences in, in your short term rentals? Yep. Yeah. One, I always tell people they need to be part of their target target audience, right? And they're like, why do I need to be part of my target audience? Because then it's way easier to create these experiences because we understand them, right? I remember a while ago, as my wife just had the twins and she's in really good shape. And I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start this little this little training program for women who have who have kids that are getting back in shape. And you can be the face of it, but she didn't want to do it. And so I just said, well, you just be the face of it because you just had twins and you look amazing. So I'm, and I'll write all the copy and everything else. Well, it fell flat. We didn't make any money with it. And it was because I was trying to create this great experience and training for women who just had twins. And I didn't just have twins. I'm a dad, right? That just had a wife that had twins and figured out how to get back in shape. Even though I watched the process, I thought I could, cre- I thought I could talk to a specific target, target audience that I wasn't a part of. So 
I start with saying, listen, you can be part of the target audience. What do you love about that area? When you go there, do you go with your family? Do you go as couples? Do you go with friends? Are you going on work trips? Like, what are you doing when you go to that prop- property? Like, and who who are you going with, right? And and so I start there and to help them curate this experience. And they say, okay, I'm going with my family. Okay, what do you guys do there, right? What are you going to do? And they'll tell me the different things that they're going to do. And we'll say, okay, let's pick one thing like whether it's an outdoor activity, whether it's something at the property, whether it's something outside the property. And let's let's pick that that and start to tell a story around it, right? We're going to tell a story about a family going out and doing this. One of our members, he's he's a branding expert and he has a story. He we went I had this conversation. He's a branding expert. And we had this conversation. I said, "What do you do? Why why do you like this?" And he said, "Well, I bought the property because when I was my kids were growing up, I would take them to this beach and we would fly these kites." Like we, it, we went there and flew the kite, right? Seems so simple. Well, he named this property, the Skydance Ranch, and his logo is this kite, this red kite flying, right? And, and the entire story is he's got a, he's got this beautiful property overlooking the beach, this amazing beach in California. And, but the problem is you would think, oh, that beach sells. The beach does sell. The problem is everybody on hit that entire beach line has the exact same beach in view and they're, they're all amazing. Right. But he's telling the story of going down and flying a kite on the beach with his son. Super simple. Right. And, but what it does is it gives the property the soul now. Right. I always tell people, try to give your property a soul with a story. Right. And tell that story. And it can be as simple as flying the kite on a beach. It can be, you know, more, you know, like my fly fishing one. Right. It can be, there was one that there was in a downtown area and the property was an old um, brothel. And there was this really famous madam in that, that ran this property. And so she, she, and hers is for girls trips. And, but she's like, I don't want it to be like this. I'm, I'm really nervous about telling that story because I don't want it to be like this trashy like story. And she did this like really, and it's not at all. Her, her girls trips are like super high class and like, like the, the furthest thing from like brothel stuff. Right. And she's like, but she has this fun story around this madam who, and she found out the history of it because, and so the story can be the story. The point is the story can revolve around the the actual, if there's something historic about a property as well, but not all properties have something historic about them. Some do lean into that story. The point is, what can you tell the story that somebody can, that somebody can latch into? We remember stories. We don't remember properties, right? We remember. And so if we can tell a story and give the property a soul, then that all of a sudden brings that property to life. You just breathe life into it and it stands out and it seems different than everything else. And it makes your marketing easier. It makes all your dialogue easier. It just is a fun part of the process. I I love that. It, it sometimes can be articulated in one sentence, like exactly. I think, I think that it, know, that's it, painting, painting the picture of possibility for your guests. Yeah, go ahead. You sound like you had no yeah, idea. and it doesn't. It can be subtle too. Like my my lakeside treehouse. It's you're gonna disconnect and unwind, and you're you like literally you're here to recharge, disconnect, and unwind. That's it. Like there, there's not the story is just forgetting about life for a minute. Right. And, and we even like, we now have fiber optic. Um, when I bought the property, we didn't have internet. I had to lean into the, the disconnect, right. Because I didn't have internet. Um, it was, it was like worse than dial up. It was horrible. Now there's fiber optic, but I've leaned into that story so much that I'm not even putting the fiber optic in. Right. I I'm like, and people are like, well, why don't you connect? I'm like, eh, we, we kind of like this story, right. We kind of like that. We've leaned into this, this story that we're, you're here to just disconnect. And I think that, that is crafting an experience rather than just wondering if people are going to enjoy your property. Yes. 
yeah. I think a lot of people get into this because they're like, oh, I just want to make extra money. I have a guest house or I have a mm-hmm. basement. And to really play this game at a high level, every choice is intentional. Yes. I, I have a, a good mentor of mine. His name is Jay Massey. He, he talks about, do we really understand our customer avatar and what they want, what their expectations are? If we don't understand what they expect, then when they come to the property, there there's going to be a guesswork whether it's actually going to fit what they they want. Absolutely. So, um, if if you could uh, kind of boil down your experience into some some sage advice to say, this is what what it takes to to play at the highest level in short term rentals. What would you say? One is. So one is understanding that the money is made at the top of the market and and then understanding what levers you can actually pull. For us, the levers you pull are being able to curate a great experience. We've been talking a lot about experiences, right? Be able to come up with that experience and then be able to articulate it. We're, and it doesn't matter how many times I tell people this, the way you articulate it, the only way you can articulate it is in photos. Really, that's that is our 24-7 sales rep. You can't, it doesn't matter what you put in your description, your headlines, everything else. None of that matters. You literally have blank spots there and have a successful listing if you dial in your photos. People think it's all these other different levers. You've got to be able to articulate what you have to offer and then be able to, and that's going to raise the bar, but you have to be able to have an offer that you can do that you can actually articulate. And that comes down to that story. It's so few people understand that we're not selling real estate. We're selling experiences. The biggest, just go look at the biggest brands out there, right? The Disney's of the world, any of your big car brands, any of your sneaker brands, any, any brand out there is telling a story every time they're selling you something right in there they've got somebody that is there telling a story it's how did that fit into their life right and how did that fit into their world if somebody's selling a car and you watch all the commercials it's a story of a road trip it's a story of something right disney is a story of memories and so it's understanding what we're actually selling and being able to articulate that to operate at the highest level in this game and i just don't think that our what if for whatever reason it's, you know, this, the short-term rental game, there's billions of dollars being spent in it right now. There's a lot of property owners in it. And the difference between the top and the middle of the market is that gap is so wide and there's so few people at the top. It's not even, it's not even like when I say it's way easier to operate the top than it is in the middle, that is, that is maybe the biggest understatement I could make is that like that people could understand how less crowded it is at the top than it is in the middle by understanding those concepts, they would just be like, it's crazy. And the difference in the money is huge. The middle of the market is just, it's a race, it's a race on price. Everybody just gets blends into the crowd. And it seems so simple to talk about, but it's so crazy how few people actually dial that in and take the time to dial it in because it, it's not, it's simple. It's not always easy. right? Right. And so, because those are two different things, very different things. Yeah. And to play at the top of the, of the market, you really have to have not just one or two of your systems in place. You have to have everything in alignment, Yes, your messaging in alignment, your story through your photos, making sure that your customer experience is clear. Your, your reviews are going to start to respond and let the market know if you are delivering consistently what you are promising. Yes. So um, let, let's say if, if you could give us uh, some typical bad advice that you hear 
what are some some things that you say avoid x y or z because i you've been in this game for you said 20 some odd years you've been in real estate you you've heard some good advice you've heard some bad advice yeah what's the stuff we need to stay stay uh stay far away from oh man um one (laughs) what with short-term rentals the the biggest is that the people just think that hey this game is so hot that you can just get in it right you can just buy a short-term rental you're going to make money and that really goes across all asset classes you should never, ever, ever buy anything that you don't fully understand, right? Investments should be fairly simple to understand. If they're not, you probably shouldn't be getting into them. But a lot of people make it sound like that, hey, short-term rentals, this is this wave has been a wild ride. And there's a lot of people that rode that ride that wave for a couple of years. There was a, there was a two-year span that really having a short-term rental, you did make money. It was like having toilet paper during COVID. Everybody made money. Yeah. And so everybody wanted them, right? And so it was... but that that game is over now and there's a lot of advice in our world that is still that is still acting like that game is here and so that's one of the the worst pieces of advice the other thing is is really under like people think that it's really easy to to underwrite this type of an asset class there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to short-term rentals they're not as easy to underwrite as other asset classes and so you're not just going to plug them into a software system and be able to spit out revenue numbers it's really difficult to underwrite these properties because there's such a wide revenue range and that revenue range depends so much on the things that we were talking about earlier on being able to, and those are things that a that a marketing tool or a software tool, a data tool cannot measure. They cannot measure what experience you're going to deliver versus me. And so the only things they can measure are proximity and location, proximity to to maybe some of the amenities, which those things can matter for sure. But it's that's a that's a portion of how they're going to perform. Um, I think that that is some of the worst things that people walk into because the reason why that's bad is. If you buy the wrong property, it's hard to adjust. If you buy the right property and you're not marketing it correctly, you didn't curate a great experience and you're struggling, we can adjust that fairly easy. You buy the wrong property, you overpay, you're in a market that can't produce the numbers that you thought you were going to be able to produce because it's just not there, right? The numbers aren't there, the revenue is not there you're in trouble, right? You're, you're having to sell it at the, in, in best case scenario, you get your money back out of it. Worst case, you're selling it at a loss. And so, so I think that the, everybody wanting the easy button so much and the the push on the front end to say, Hey, we've got the easy button for you just because that's what you want. I've got the easy button on underwriting and I can tell you the best markets. I can tell you where you should be going. I think that that's, that's really misleading for a lot of people. And the other thing is, is really that, there's not an end-all be-all asset class for everybody, period. And just because we love short-term rentals, just because I love them, you'll never hear me tell and say that they're for everybody. And I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there that there is a perfect asset class that's better than all of others. Whether, you know, people are selling multifamily is way better to do or commercial, whatever they're, whatever they're in, they act like is the end all be all for everybody. That's not the case across the board. You, you really have to decide what passive income vehicle works for you. And, and that comes down to understanding. And I, I just think that in the world we live in today, everybody wants to act like one is better than the other. And and it's really not like it might, one might be better for me than it is for you and vice versa. And so we have to really understand that. And I think that that, that gets lost in the, in the language out there that, because people always ask me, well, you know, I heard that, you know, multifamily is better. Or why would you not do multifamily or why, why should I do short-term rentals versus multifamily? I'm like, listen, they're, they all have pros and cons. And 
you know, based on your resources, based on your knowledge, based on what you're trying to do with your portfolio, that will help us determine which one is actually better or not. Right. I think that was, that was fantastic. Great, great recognizing what, what some of those little details of, of bad advice are, and then how we can take our, our business and really become a professional in, in all aspects of it. And this, this isn't for everyone. That's, that's the thing yeah. that I think is refreshing is just because it's for me, and it's for Sean doesn't necessarily mean it's for you. And I, I feel like if, if you could let us know maybe one or two ideas that, that would help us cut timeframes with getting our first short-term rental, what would you tell someone that maybe they, they have the money and they want to do it. They've maybe done some research online. What are the things that you're like, I, I need to have this in place to make sure that I'm protecting myself. Yeah. The one is the right team, right? You, if you want to accelerate your progress and, and process into anything new, especially you've got to have the right team, right? And so whether that's mentors, for sure, you're going to have to have property managers on your team. You're going to have realtors. You're going to have finance partners. That that team is critical if you want to really accelerate into anything. And if you don't, you know, I, I'm just a huge believer that if you have never done it, you're going to accelerate your progress by getting somebody that has done it before and that is doing what you're trying to do. There's so many people out there that, you know, I, Alex Hermosi, I listen to him all the time. I love him. But he said, advice to 20 year olds. Why don't you go do something before you teach something? Right. And uh, he had a, he had a few swear words in there. So I cleaned it up for you, Brigham, but it was, uh, it was, but it was the, uh, because it's like everybody wants to teach something that they're not even doing, right? And so, and that's a, that goes back to the other one. The worst advice you could ever listen to out there is from somebody giving you advice on something that they have no idea or they're not doing, right? If I want to make, you know, you know, if I'm trying to make a million dollars a year or two hundred thousand dollars a year, if somebody, if somebody is telling me how to make a million dollars a year that's never made a million dollars a year consistently probably not the best advice, right? But if I want to make a million dollars a year and I've got, I'm talking to somebody that does that and has been doing it, I'm going to accelerate my progress to a million dollars a year way faster than trying to figure it out on my own, right? It just is what it is, right? Success leaves clues and they're going to know how to navigate the roadblocks and the bumps that you're going to face that you haven't faced yet. And so you're going to get through them faster. You're still going to face them. You're still going to come up with them, but you're going to get through them faster by having somebody. So anytime that somebody is asking me about accelerating their progress is saying, listen, go find the person who's doing what you want to do and figure out what it takes to get that mentorship and, and somebody in front of you that you can do that. Because just learning, and even if you're in the game, there's a lot of people who are in the game, in the short-term rental game right now, they come to us and they say, hey, listen, I was making really good money. I've got a lot, I mean, I've got five or six properties. I was doing really well and I'm struggling now, right? They don't know how to go through this shift, right? So even though you're in the game, you're not an expert in being able to get through a shift. So has somebody gone through a shift? Do you have, do you, can you find somebody that is succeeding in today's market, right? Didn't succeed three years ago and they have succeeded in ups and downs. Like there's, there's just, there's just clues that you can find. And I think we're so quick to try to jump into it on our own because there's information overload on the online, right? And there's a lot of really, really good information online. Trust, like really good. The problem with it is, is when you have lack of experience and is you don't know how to filter through the good and the bad. And so having a mentor really helps you filter through that, right? There's a lot of times where 
there's there's multiple you know let's be honest too there's multiple ways to skin a cat and how many times do like in my in our group right they're like well i heard somebody say this it's like you can do that but that's counter counterproductive to what we're doing right here so even though i might say this and bill says something over here they both could be really good pieces of advice depending on the road you're on but if you're on my road and you follow bill's advice it's going to derail you and you're going to you're going to lose track of where we're at on this road right and so it's one it's one of those things too of being able to when you have a mentor they can help they can just help guide you down the road the road that they that they're familiar with right that's what they're going to do a good mentor or coach is going to keep you on the road they're familiar with not teach you the stuff that they haven't done a lot of people ask me how to do self-management. I will never teach anything that I don't do. I know how to manage properties. You know, I've, I've been doing this long enough that I can pull up a management software. I could figure out how to manage a property, but I'm never going to teach something I don't do. And so if that's what road somebody wants to run down, I'll say, listen, you got to run down somebody else's road because that's not what I do. Yeah, I think that's that's also wisdom right there. Just recognizing what you're an expert in and what you're not. Yeah. And finding those people that are down the road farther, they've gone through the bumps, they've gone through the twists and turns, and they can help you know what you need to pack, what you need to bring, yeah. uh, all the different elements that uh, that will help you on your journey. Yeah. So I know we, we're about out of time, so I wanted to make sure that I, I give you a, a moment. How do people connect with you? How do you uh, continue this conversation? You're always welcome to reach out to me, and I'm, I can connect you to those resources, but well, where do they find you online? What are some of the the, the events you're doing? Some of the, the things that people can stay in contact with you, Sean? Yeah, the, the, the best one is just vodice.com, V-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y.com. We've got our book on there. You can go get a free download copy of that. The What the hell is a lifestyle asset? It takes you through the process of what, you know, at least at least our view of this world and how we progress through that, uh, you know, buying the right asset, setting it up to deliver a great experience, then ultimately marketing it. And that's what that book takes you through. And then ultimately, we always have trainings on there. You can, you can link to my podcast and our YouTube channel. And then, you know, there's ways to reach out to our team if this is a road you're like hey i want to i want to see if this is right for me we we always would love to chat with somebody on an interview on that and see if this is the right road but we try to post a lot of content on there we're trying to get even better at that and um, i'm a big believer in in posting and putting out free stuff and just making sure we're not there's no secrets behind our, behind closed doors of what we're doing by any stretch and so odyssey.com is by far the best place to go with a lot of resources i love it and I, I'm a member, so I guys, I'm not sharing things that I don't do. I, I've gone through the courses. I love what he teaches, and he he has a great way of articulating simply high-level concepts and those things that move the needle. So I, I do really appreciate about the the content that you put out and the the way that you articulate it too. Because that I that, appreciate that. that that means a lot. I appreciate that, Brigham, because I, I never look at myself as, as a, a coach and never thought I would be doing this. I love it more than anything. And, and that is the one thing that I always try to do is just to, to get better at articulating, you know, the, the better you can articulate complicated concepts and make them simple, the, the better results that people get over time. And so I appreciate you saying that. And I, I, I know that for me, cause I, I came from the back, a background as a teacher, you know, I taught Mandarin Chinese in theater yeah. for seven years loved it and seeing a master teacher who is a practitioner of what they teach it is very different than hearing someone that has no idea of what they're actually teaching and just saying one or two sentences ahead of the the, the kids yeah you definitely are are a master at what you do and it shows in the content that you share it shows in the things that you bring up and the the warnings to to say say hey that's bad advice don't do that do this this is working 
it's so helpful. And one of my favorite things you do in our in our uh, group is you do this uh, on Tuesdays. Ask me anything, call. I think yeah. that that's yeah. a great value. I I, I want to be on that more. I, yeah, it's it's my favorite thing. In fact, it's funny. I do webinars every once in a while, and you'll find that, like I do the, just workshop trainings, and okay. I usually go. I'll do like a training for forty minutes, and then I just open it up to Q and A. That's where I that's where I'm most comfortable is just opening up the mics and letting people ask, and and that's what I love. And and we'll do three or four hour live Q and As once a month for just you know people outside of our community and uh yeah that that's my uh that's kind of my comfort zone is just opening up the mics and let's let's talk about it and i i think you, you keep it real and that's something i really appreciate about you and thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and adding yeah. so much value is there anything else that you you were thinking in the back of your head that you wanted to share that you weren't able to yet or a question no. that i didn't that I, I wish no, I it was awesome. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate you having me to bring them. And, and those of you listening, we know how valuable your time is. And, and it does mean a lot that we that we have people listening and, and spending it with us. And so, you know, you know what I always say. And I always and I always it just would challenge everybody every single day is to pick that one thing you can do to build that life you don't want to take a vacation from. I think that there is real wisdom in just saying, what what can I do today? Just that one little thing that, that can help me continue to progress. You're your um you was you say is a chinese saying or a japanese saying that that, that Jeez, that's why if you're not progressing you're digressing and i couldn't i, I mean that's I, I live my life by that right if you're not growing you're dying right and it's just and, and i and that's what helps me keep moving that needle forward it doesn't mean i need to run a marathon everything every day i just need to do that one thing and so i at the at the end of the day that's what i always tell people i just challenge them to say what can i do today to start building that life i don't want to take a vacation from and we're going to sign off with that. Thank you so much, Sean. God bless. Really appreciate your time, energy, and effort to, to share with, with us your experience. And uh, once again, thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Brigham. Appreciate you having me.